This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Welcome, everyone. Before I get into the introductions about our nominees, let's please get into what the category is. This is a conversation with the nominees for Outstanding Achievement in Art Direction. So we welcome all of you to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. And again, I'm Kali Adams, and I'll be your host for this conversation. Before we get into it, let's talk about our nominees. First up, we have from Ghost of Tsushima, we have Jason Connell. How are you doing, Jason? Hey. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself, please. Yeah, so I, I've been uh, I've been working at Sucker Punch for a little over 10 years, um, and uh, predominantly uh, my background before that was another five or six years in games doing shading and texturing, and then uh, you know I did a fair amount of lighting and cinematography work uh, for with Sucker Punch but um, moved into a lead role. And then on this project was my first project as uh, um, art director. And also um, I shared the co-director spot with uh, Nate Fox. And so, uh, you know, this, this journey has been, I've been really fortunate and uh, Ghost has been such an, uh, you know, awesome experience for me to, to be one of my first games putting out there as director. So it's been great. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah. Representing from Hades, Gen Z. How you doing, Jen? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing okay. Doing all right. Not too bad. Uh, how how are you, how's everything going? What have you been working on? Oh, uh, working on trying to take a breath after shipping Hades and preparing <laughs> for the next thing. You know, refilling the creative juices. Right. Yeah. You've been in the space for a minute. You know, give give the folks at home a little bit of info about you know the the breadth and depth of, of the work you've done over this. Over sure. Um, I've been the art director at Supergiant Games for the last ten to eleven years, I'd say. Um, and Hades is actually the first one where we've had like a pretty expansive art team of five. Uh, and so I feel like in this last game, we've really been able to flex our art muscles a bit harder and it feels feels really good to create something a bit bigger, a bit stronger and, and a bit more beautiful than the rest of what we've ever done. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and for rocking with us today. Uh, from The Last of Us 2, we have Eric Panglian. How are you doing, Eric? Hi, pretty good. Um... Yeah, I've been I've been at Naughty Dog for a while, probably like 24, 25 years, lost count. Um, I started as an environment uh, environment artist and uh, became lead around place, PlayStation 2 maybe in the Jack days. And I became art director uh, in the Uncharted 2. It was probably like 14, 15 years ago. Uh, I've been sharing the art director role with uh, John Sweeney um in the last of us uh and um and yeah and so all these years it's just been uh, a refinement of our process and and trying to dial in like how we can squeeze out you know more power on the playstation and just making our games look better every year well thank you thank you so much for being here and spending some time with us today uh from the folks over at marvel's spider-man miles morales we have Gavin, I'm sorry, Gavin Goulden and Jason Hickey. How are you both doing today? I, I'm, I'm also doing great. doing great. 
I'm happy that you're both doing well. <laughs> Gavin, give us, a, give us a little bit of info about the work you've been doing in this space. Uh, sure. Uh, so similar to other uh, people on the panel, uh, I'm an art director and Somniac. This is actually my first uh, project that I've been an art director on. Uh, previously, I was a character artist. Uh, I was a lead character artist on uh, Marvel Spider-Man, uh, Sunset Overdrive, and Bioshock Infinite. And I've been making characters for about 20 years or so. Um, so uh, that, that's really been my, my focus on this project and trying to make the most memorable, good-looking characters on PS5. Jason, what have you been up to? What have you been working on um, in the industry? Similar to Gav, um, but I haven't actually... I've been with Sony for... For about seven years, um, um, but I've only been at Somniac just under five years. Uh, this is my first uh, credit as an art director on a project, um, so I'm really like sort of excited and kind of overwhelmed to be in this group because <laughs> the games are so beautiful. So um, you know, well done everyone. Uh, but yeah, so I came from uh, lead uh, environment for like just basically environment art the whole way through. Um, I've been doing it for uh, more than I can remember, 15 years, something like that. Um, and I've traveled around the world. I'm from Ireland. That's brilliant. I, I'm, ha I'm happy you're here. I'm excited I'm excited that you're rocking with us as well. And to round out our group from Ori and Will of the Wisps, we have Jeremy Gritton and Daniel Van Leeuwen. How are you both doing today? Jeremy, tell the folks at home a little bit of information about yourself as well. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I've been at Moon for about five years now. Uh, like some of you, this was my first uh, opportunity getting to do art direction. Uh, before Moon, I was working at Blizzard Entertainment in their cinematics department. Uh, I was a lead cinematic artist there. So getting to come to Moon and art direct for Ori, it was an amazing experience and uh, really enjoyed working with all of our really talented artists here. So. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and it's it's a huge honor to be here with all of you guys. Daniel, what have you been working on in, in this space? Um, I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, I've been in the game industry for about 10 years now, uh, most of it in the Netherlands itself. So I worked as an environment artist at Triumph Studios. I uh, worked on the Age of Wonder series and a few new projects there. Um, and I got contacted by new studios about five years ago, and I joined four years ago. And I've kind of grown into the art lead role. So I joined as a, just an environment artist, but um, at the end of the project, I was the art lead working with Jeremy on uh, the art direction for Ori. So it was great. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, all of you, for sharing some great information about the work you've been doing in this space. And I'm excited to talk about all the wonderful things you did with the games that you made. Uh, you know, being an art director is a very specific and very special title, uh, especially for the studios that you've worked in. I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, you all talk about, you know, the process and kind of discipline that it requires to kind of, you know, bring those crafts and bring those talents to the games that you've made. Um, I'm going to start off with, with Jeremy on that. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, your thoughts about, you know, especially because this is one of your kind of first, no, no, I'm sorry, this is one of the games you've worked on a bunch, amongst a bunch of the uh, games you've worked over your career. You know, what are some of the tools and, and, and talents you've kind of brought to that space to, to make this very, very special game? Well, I mean, working at Blizzard Cinematics, I was familiar with a lot of the different elements that would go into building cinematic sequences. 
uh, even though I hadn't worked on them myself. Uh, my background was more as a, um, a character artist, uh, but I, I was I was familiar with the different processes. So getting to come into Moon and then work with all of the different departments on that, it was really great because I got to learn more about all of the different aspects, you know, with you know effects and animation and the tech pipeline and everything. So um, I think that I was able to bring a well-rounded skill set. Uh, but for me, for sure, like this first time going around, it was a lot of uh, a lot of learning. Um, and also on the production side, uh, we had to work a lot with our producer on scheduling and so on. And that was something that I had never really been involved with uh, before. But um, I really felt like by the end of the process, I came out like that much more well-rounded because of it. Yeah, I'm also curious about, you know, once you have gotten to the, to the level of art director, you're then, you know, tasked with, you know, being in charge of and managing a whole bunch of other artists in the space as well. Um, I'm curious, Jen, what are, what are your thoughts about, you know, what that process looks like? You talked about now kind of having a, a, a bigger team of five folks to be able to, to work in and manage in that way. You know, what are the conversations that are happening in between that? And what are some of the challenges that you're finding kind of, you know, working in that space now, you know, having to direct other people to do the work as well? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's a it's actually a constant question in my mind as I go forward with practicing both managing and management skills, uh, leadership skills alongside actual production art skills. So like I, you know, for the first three games we made i was the only production like 2d artist on the project hmm. um and we finally found an amazing environment artist to help out with haiti's work um and the managerial process uh when it comes to managing just one or two other people is can be really rewarding if you're working with really talented people and thank goodness the people i work with are incredible um so you know, it's not that they take zero management time. It might also be that I am just completely neglecting them as a manager. Um, it's <laughs> often hard to say whether I'm doing it right or doing it wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a constant balance and it's a struggle to decide whether I should spend my time leading or if I should spend more of my time doing production work. And that is a conversation that is ongoing um, throughout the entirety of our processes because, you know, the, the leadership demands and the production demands kind of wax and wane over the course of the project. And especially for us, uh, because we were in early access. So there was kind of this process where we were shipping the game multiple times throughout the year. Um, so that pattern of like, okay, now it's time to, have more conversations and 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 have more communication about what we're trying to do and what our goals are as an art team um, versus okay now we're just all heads in like heads down just draw 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 um, get your work done so it's a it's constant struggle it's interesting it's fun um, like I said I work with a really incredible team so. The only real negative is my own self-doubt <laughs> as far as whether I really should be art directing, right? Because, um, you know. I think, I think we all are having that balance within most of my jobs, too, of trying to figure out, like, yeah. am I 
they gave me what i get a check to do this and what i'm supposed to be yeah. the person okay fine we'll, we'll keep kind of moving it on and and figuring that out it's I, i'm actually I'm, I'm happy to hear that you are also having those kinds of thoughts as well because yeah. i think most folks in this room would probably say a little bit of the same too um mm -hmm. jason i'm kind of curious about that from your perspective too about you know um you talked about kind of expanding the teams because of this particular project, you know, kind of working overseas with, with different crews. How different has it been to kind of, you know, cross collaborate, you know, with your, your kind of US based team and then some of the other folks who, who are overseas and how that, how that conversation might change for you as an art director as well. Yeah, it's, it's a, it certainly adds a crazy new uh, challenge into the already challenging thing <laughs> that we're all trying to you know, cre uh, create this, this game that looks great um, and has a sense of style to it and all that. But, you know, I think that the very early on, uh, for, for me at least, is just you have to kind of set yourself into a mindset of you have to enjoy the learning for the next few years, not just... Um, not your, your typical type of learning, like new tools or new lighting engines or you know, that kind of stuff. That's always fun too. I love that stuff. Um, but seriously, like learning about um, what, what your preconceived ideas about, you know, representing a culture might be right or wrong. And you mm. have to be okay with the fact that you probably might've gotten it wrong. And that's why you hired people to help you make sure you get it right. Um, and so you have to kind of thirst for that a little bit. And so, especially if you're going to work on a project for four or five years, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly long journey. You definitely get into spots sometimes where you absolutely want it to, you know, achieve a certain feeling or a certain way that it might represent itself visually. And then you come to find that maybe your, your research or one of your, you know, consultants that you've hired has expressed that that's not the way that it should go. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you kind of go back to the drawing board on it. So there's a lot of iteration on that front. And the creative side of it, the good composition that you wanted, or the you know, the colors and you know things that you wanted, don't doesn't go away. So you're just trying to achieve both goals, um, and uh, which makes the process uh, fairly fairly long. But one of one of our goals early on was also not to be just completely realistic. You know, we we mm. we played around with you know photogrammetry and stuff like that. And and in the end, it's just for our, for us and for our game, we wanted a little bit uh, softer background and you know. Um, instead of, you know, representing a, a fern forest with, you know, ferns and grass and weeds and trees that are dead and trees that are alive, we just said, how about we just do a, you know, dominant species of just ferns, you know, really, really mm -hmm. bright, vibrant greens, so people remember the fern place. Um, and actually, that worked out really well. Our consultants ended up actually really liking that. Our colleagues in Japan um, really, really, um, really like that. And the number one bit of feedback that I got early on that I, I really kind of latched onto and made me realize how much I, I cherished working with them um, was that uh, our first uh, you know, first playable, you know, that we shared with our Japanese colleagues were like, the game is not green enough. <laughs> it needs to be more green. And, uh, and, you know, then I looked back and I was like, oh, yeah, it's just like, it doesn't have as much vibrancy as, as you can imagine. And, you know, and therefore, you know, you look at the game now, it's incredibly lush and, and rich. And so I certainly thank them for that, but it's, it's a, it's a big process to, certainly uh, a, a new challenge in the chapter of making, making games. Um, but, you know, couldn't have done it without that team. That's for sure. Yeah. Eric, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you as well, because you're an industry vet, you've been doing this for, for over 20 years, you know, how has the process kind of looked for you now that you're, you're kind of, you know, one of the folks that I'm sure folks in the team are looking to for guidance and for, for, you know, correction and for advice when it comes to that. And how has that kind of changed over the years that you've been doing the work uh, in the art director space? Oh, it's, it's always changing. Um, 
because like there's always new elements like new ip we always try to reinvent ourselves as you know we we came from a team that did crash bandicoot right and and we evolved to jack and dact i mean very similar uh stories with insomniac you know our sister company uh we had to grow um our team based on our needs and you know that it, it was very difficult because you know we hire based on the game we're going to make and as as we got um into the realistic or you know the the realistic spaces uh there's a different skill set that needs to be made and as the games got bigger and bigger you have to learn how to scale this without blowing your budget uh or hiring like a thousand people you know so mm. it's it's been it's been a very um exciting and challenging growth you know in terms of managing and trying to maintain um the visual quality all throughout um you have to you know you you can't do any everything yourself anymore you have to actually trust your team you have to delegate you have to create systems that can work for you and so and work smartly um so that has been the challenge uh, of actually being the art director uh, at Naughty Dog because uh, you have to create a leadership structure that you can trust and that can do the work and share and and you can just delegate it to them and and trust that they can do the good job and uh, getting the project shipped yeah, I'm I'm sure that, you know, a part of all of your jobs would be, you know, trust is a huge part of that conversation. I'm 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 curious about, you know, not only how you how you build trust across your team in that way, but you know, how how do you continue to to foster that when sometimes, you know, you're worried about, you know, a project not necessarily hitting what you wanted it to hit or you're having those conversations within a team uh, you know, about like making sure that everything is kind of still cohesive across as many people as you're, as you're kind of working with um, in that space. Uh, I'm curious to hear that from, from you, Gavin, about, you know, how do you kind of continue to build trust and, and, and broaden that out across the rest of your teams? Uh, I would say that a lot of it is uh, communication, um, basically setting expectations with your team and always staying uh, in touch with feedback and, um, you know, clearly stating like the status of like where a task might be right so on miles because i wasn't used to working with effects so much um that was kind of new territory for me that's an example of where um i would have to like rely on the leads because i didn't know as mm. much right but it would be something that you know i'll be i'll be working with our our partners or with design or with other teams to kind of figure out the requirements for what uh what we need in game and then setting the the visual language and stuff, but as for how it actually happens, I would have no idea. I'd be the worst VFX <laughs> artist imaginable. So, uh, uh, so that like that's something where I'm kind of uh, in the situation where I need to trust people. And um, uh, you know, the more that you, the more that you stay in touch, the more that you review things together, the more that you can, you know, learn more about what they do, and you know, communicate like what your expectations are for for their work. Um, yeah, I think just a, a lot of it is like staying in touch, especially now that we're all working from from home, uh, having to replace that walking by the desk and doing the the hey buddy chat with uh, Zoom meetings is uh, is something that we've kind of added to our lives for sure. Yeah, it, it, those those small little quick meetings and and getting things done in that way is 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 I'm hoping to get back to some of that because it just makes the process just move faster when it comes to a lot of those conversations for sure. Um, Daniel, I'm kind of curious uh, about, you know, 
when it comes to the art and animation within Ori and how well those parts kind of complement the game so well, it, it kind of combines this, you know, note of wonder, this exploration, you know, this ever, ever present kind of layer of danger and, and kind of fear that's in the game that that's kind of always around the corner. You know, how did you figure out ways to kind of, you know, make all that stuff work so well together? And, and, and you know, I'm sure it must have presented some challenges from an art art perspective. You know, did you did you pr approach this in the same ways that you did when you started uh, off with Blind Forest or how, kind of how did things kind of change in that respect? Um, well, we were kind of in a unique situation because uh, pretty much all of the team that worked on Will of the Wisp didn't work on Blind Forest. Mm. Um, and there was a bit of overlap on the team. So we actually had a pretty fresh perspective on like, okay, what, what, what do we want to do with this IP? Uh, how do we want to take the, the game forward? Um, and we, we brought these new perspectives. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we actually looked a lot at Blind Forest, like, what are those guys doing? How, how do we keep the composition clean and nice? And uh, we, we kind of wanted to continue on that branch, but upgrade the graphics. Um, but one of the main points at, at Moon Studios is just iteration. Like we as artists, we you basically have an empty canvas. Uh, you need to fill it with something. So you have something to look at and then you can start tweeting. You can say, well, we're, we're missing this or we're missing that, um, or we have too much noise here. We need to simplify. Mm. And as we, as the whole team just keep iterating, iterating like dozens of time uh, on everything and the story is constantly changing, the graphics are constantly changing, like the whole world is shifting around. Um, in that process, like you, you just need to trust that everyone in the team and especially the art director um, has the vision for what the end result kind of needs to be, but that also grows as the project goes on. So it's just a lot of judgment from everyone in the team and working together to kind of shape that final uh, look. And of course, also we made a bunch of trailers as we went usually those are good milestones to kind of get a feeling of what is this end result that we're trying to achieve and what is this feeling that we're giving to the viewer yeah it it definitely did feel like you know there were there were moments when it, well there was a cohesiveness that came along with all of it you know and it, it seems like you know that transitional period of you know the two teams kind of you know, getting a chance to do that handoff felt like that was very very much in in, in play there which was which was really nice i guess it's also a bit of everyone in the team uh, working on everything in the game so it's right. not just that one particular person works on one environment like it's just crisscrossing everything um because people also they kind of get blindsided on um art if they work on it for too long so it's kind of nice to get some variation in your work and uh, i think that also helps to just lift the whole game as a as a single piece yeah thank you for sharing that i think that that, that pulls that that pulls that into focus in a really good way um, Jason, I'm curious as well, you know, you, I'm sure you had kind of similar challenges between, you know, Miles Morales and the previous game and, and, and kind of making sure that there's a cohesiveness to it while also kind of adding new, new things for the player to kind of find and, and new, uh, additive parts to what, you know, a very iconic New York would be in the game. Uh, you know, what were some of the challenges there of, uh, challenges and changes that wind up happening within, you know, the previous game to, what we wind up seeing in Miles Morales? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Actually, if I sort of uh, change it a bit, um, like 
the real question that we asked ourselves was, um, how do we make this Miles Morales New York? Um, that was that was where the the, the the whole stuff we knew immediately as soon as we knew we were working on the game. It was like right, has to feel different to Pete. Has the city has to feel like it's his home. Yeah, the music, everything has to feel enough that we're giving this character who's an awesome character, relatively new in the Marvel universe, but still an amazing character with a lot of um, a lot of fans and support, and, and we love him as well. So it was uh, being true to that. So we couldn't just be, well, is this a game where we're just changing the character model? Um, no, it's not. Right. So a huge amount of work went in from the animation team and all, and all departments. Um, when it came for the actual city itself, um, we went through some phase, different phases of what we would do, but it was clear like the, the most uh, obvious thing to do was to make it winter. Um, and this worked really well. Mm. Because uh, I wanted to make it uh, winter early on, but then when we were just we were discussing it, uh, the story we were talking about it having it set at, at uh, over the holiday period, so it was, it was sort of a uh, you know the stars aligned and 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 we were all on the same page, which was great. But it wasn't only just uh, you know winterizing New York; it was also about adding new content, um, uh, taking old content that hadn't been. You know, for whatever reason, it wasn't quite at the at the you know hit the vision that we wanted uh, for the first game, uh, or uh, was new new content. The other thing was we wanted it to feel like there is definitely a home for Miles, right? So there's a, a place where, although he's moving house, he's come from Brooklyn and he's moved to a new area, and he's, he's struggling with that. Uh, how does he? Has, his life has changed significantly, especially you know with the history of what happened in his family and Spider-Man One. So we wanted to create a home, which was you know East Harlem, Spanish Harlem, El Barrio, whatever uh, you want to call it. Um, but in in order to really capitalize on that, we wanted to make sure that there was the opposite of of his home. So there was places that are alien to him, so you could feel slightly out of place while playing him the same way he would. Uh, which gave us the inspiration for uh, working on yeah, the Roxxon faction, um, which is, for those who don't know, if I haven't played it, it's, it's very uh, black with red, which had its own problems because Miles is, is black suit with red. So, you know, we were earlier on, we were like, oh, <laughs> we should have picked the different faction. But um, yeah, so, uh, so that, you know, there's a really obvious juxtaposition between you know, the very glossy, um, you know, uh, highly technical, dark, cool colors, and and then the kind of warm, um, fam familial colors for East Harlem. And we did that as well with the underground and Tinker, um, with a different palette, uh, and also with his uncle had his own palette that lay sort of halfway in between. Um, at least that was the plan. So I hope, I hope some of it came across to the players. Sometimes I don't know if for everyone else where you're like, oh, this is great. And then you just, you don't know if anyone even notices it. So, um, you know. I, I will raise my New Yorker flag and say you nailed it. <laughs> yes. I, I think, you know, I, I will give you the New York nod to say, yes, you nailed Harlem in that way. Uh, and, and a lot of parts of the culture that go along with that for sure. Yeah. Um, Jen, I'm kind of curious too about, you know, you have a very specific you know, uh, uh, thing to tackle when it comes to Greek mythos. 
and, and making sure that you're kind of aligning that with people's expectations while giving your own interpretation and inspiration for it. You know, uh, where did you all kind of come up with the inspiration for how you wanted the underworld of Hades to, to look? Yeah, I think you actually kind of hit some of it on the head. One of our um, kind of creative pillars that we determined very early on in the project was we wanted to make sure that people could immediately understand what they were looking at, mm. that at a glance, it would be obvious that this is about Greek myth. At the same time, um, we're super giant games and we have a track record of doing really weird things. Um, <laughs> so we had just come off the game Pyre, which was its own esoteric uh, magical basketball game. Um, and so it was really important to us actually for this game that we make sure to stay close to the source material, but not so close that we felt too creatively restricted. We mm -hmm. wanted it instantly recognizable, but with a twist, like a fun twist. Um, that being said, you know, everything that we do on the art team at Supergiant, uh, it's led first by the need to support establishing tone, establishing the narrative and supporting the game design. Um, and everything after that is really where the artist playground is. Um, I mentioned Pyre, uh, kind of everything we do at Supergiant is this reaction to the thing we've done before it. Um, and uh, on Pyre, uh, we had told such a kind of somber story and tale. Uh, we knew we wanted to do something a little more playful. So that is where, you know, some of these characters have this more like creative and whimsical twist. So Cerberus, who is historically this monstrous um, hell hellhound three-headed dog, right? Instead, in Hades, we reinterpreted him as Clifford the Big Red Dog. Um, <laughs> because we, we knew that we wanted to tell a story ultimately that was about this big dysfunctional family. And you have to have a big dysfunctional dog to be part of your big dysfunctional family. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but generally speaking, um, it was important to me that we make this game immediately inviting. Um, and that's true for, I think, every game at Supergiant. Like, no matter what we did, even if we, we joke about how internally, if we made, like, a horror game, um, we would find some way to make it beautiful. And it would be this weird, wacky thing, probably. Um, because that's kind of why I got into games. I just loved... I loved the worlds that other people had built for me and I, I, I wanted to go into them. And I, I want that same reaction for the players who are engaging with, with our products. So um, did I answer your question? No, did you I totally did. Or? No, okay. you totally did. No, you totally did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we re we reference the source material hev heavily. It's um, it was the first time we, we had this huge body of creative work that we could borrow from. Um, and that was such a lubricant to our creative process. It was so refreshing um, after having made three games where we had to really just like get down in the weeds about like, okay, well, what, what is this character and why are they there? And what is this world? And like, how come everyone can eat ham sandwiches here? Like, does ham exist in this world? You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like we, we were able to skip a lot of those conversations and kind of spend more of our time creating like around a very solid idea and having those creative um, 
creative constraints right up front, which was really, really nice um, from from my perspective. Yeah, and, and and now now I'm thinking like, well, would would hell have ham in it? I would probably assume it would. It, it, this hell <laughs> definitely has ham in it. <laughs> a ghost chef, and he needs ghost ham to make ghost ham sandwiches. <laughs> well, I, well, that's a that's a perfect segue to Eric to to ask about ham in The Last of Us too. Uh, which which i'm not sure was a part of the design doc uh for any of that but it, there was a a real lean into uh around the kind of grimy and gritty aesthetic of 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 the first game and how you were kind of be able to you know expand on you know building that out but you were also really uh, you know did a really good job of finding beauty in 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 two as well which i thought was was really profound you know how did you kind of enhance and build upon the kind of celebrated aesthetics of, of the previous game and, and kind of, you know, build on that for, for two. Um, well, you know, like the original game was, was on the PlayStation three. So, um, PlayStation four gave us like very easy upgrades to make the game look better. Um, there was already, um, an established look, you know, on the, on the original. So we, we just had to build upon, uh, what we have and and make it be consistent. But one of the things we, you know, if I were to choose, like, you know, just to summarize it, uh, uh, the things we improve upon is the lighting. You know, we 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 focused a lot on the lighting um, and environmental storytelling. We kind of wanted to refine those two elements in in this in the sequel. Um, like, you know, our goal where the game was to create like the seamless uh, cinematic experience, you know, that, that can be very uh, natural and, and, um, and believable. So, you know, we, we, we rely heavily on natural lighting. So we referred to a lot of the films that we like, um, you know, that, that, that would immerse the players uh, or the viewers and, um, and try to mimic them like you know like uh, the reverend or sicaro uh films that have great lighting and and atmosphere and tone and we, and we try to replicate that so the guys had to um um try to squeeze out all these levels of subtlety in in our lighting so that we can get the a good value range um being in seattle it was hard to light things uh, because of overcast days and cloudy days you know like everything you go, becomes very flat pretty easily. So we we try to master that and how we can um, get directionality from subtle lighting, lighting uh, these environments. Um, depending on, on natural lighting too, like nighttime became a problem if you didn't have a, a flashlight or a torch. So, and the way we handle it in this game, we just sort of embraced the darkness and like got more confident in just letting things go to black um, mm. the, the effect of that made the, the environment and characters, uh, uh, integrate better and gave us better contrast all throughout the game. Uh, the next thing we wanted to improve was, um, environment storytelling, uh, which was pretty big on, on our previous game, but we wanted to tell the story a lot clearer. So, you know, we, you know, like since last of us, we let you crawl now and, and like crouch to uh, scavenge everywhere. We wanted to make sure that the fidelity of the, the game is consistent everywhere. 
but you know since we can do so much now like like what the other guys say it's like we actually found ourselves pulling back from detail and trying to simplify things because it, everything just gets so noisy um and distracting everywhere so you know we had to like simplify our palettes and homogenize our plants you know and you know instead of doing like 20 plants we just like choose um <laughs> fewer and try to like paint it with that's a limited palette and and control how things go go crazy in the world so most of my reviews is like delete 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 just <laughs> clean that up clean that up um, and it was mostly about like like um just just getting the read better you know and and you kind of want to curate the visual pacing as you go through the game you know you don't want everything to be awesome you, you kind of want it to pace and build up to to where you want the players to see and then try to focus the players on the narratives and how they would present itself in the gameplay so all of this have to be curated uh for the entire game you know uh, every space we go to, we try to um, tell a, a quick story uh, for the for the area. Like, like we 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 look at um, we look at like real real uh, layouts and blueprints of of spaces. So so when we design places, they would be in the right proportion and the right room size. The flow would be correct. Uh, it incorporates and to try to incorporate that into the game so that the place feels functional and authentic um, and then when we try to um, prop things up we try to make sure that um, it doesn't look generic and it doesn't look random everything has to have a purpose everything has to be functional mm. um, if it's a if it's a commercial space we we have we have an entire graphics team that like work on the logos the marketing the advertising, the purpose of their business, the slogans, you know, if it's a residential place, we put uh, photos of people, you know, just to just to get, give that human element in there, like, um, what are they into? What are their styles? You know, how do they, how do they um, make the place look settled? Mm. Um, yeah, and then and then on top of that, we put the element of age and and time and damage and all the apocalyptic narratives. So it was pretty important that all of these layers are clearly communicated and, and be very clean so that the player, when they go through these spaces, they can understand exactly what happened. That's that's brilliant. I mean, environmental storytelling is is something that you've all you definitely all nailed within the game and 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 it, it presented a visual language for the player that, that was very important while going through the story, which I thought was was pretty profound and, and, and fantastic. Um, Jason, before we before we jump out of here, uh, I wanted to poke you a little bit about Kurosawa mode uh, on Ghost of Tsushima. Um, you know, it was a pretty profound thing to jump into that for the first time and say, oh, wow, you really nailed this and went for it uh, in, a, in a big way. Um, can you talk a little bit about the features that kind of made Kurosawa mode, you know, Kind of further enhance the cinematic feel that ghosts had sure uh it's one of my favorite parts of uh the, the visual journey that was creating this game uh we knew that we were going to have a black and white mode uh from yeah. i don't know for almost as early as the conception of the idea of the game um uh, but we didn't actually work on it until pretty late uh huh. because you know rest of the game <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And uh, when, when it came down to time to doing it, uh, we also were like, oh, what are we going to call this thing? And we really, you know, what, would love to have called it Kurosawa mode, but there's a whole process to, to, to doing that. And they wanted a sample. They wanted to see it. Uh, the estate for Akira Kurosawa wanted to actually see this. And this was like an you know, opportunity of a lifetime for me. I was like, this is, this is the dream come true. You know? <laughs> so I, uh, I put together a video and actually took in-game footage and did all the actual in-game correction and, and tried to study a bunch of the films that he had uh, and the curves, the film curves, and uh, try to get the blacks to be appropriately right right, and, and, and the whites appropriate. And it was really tough, right? Because these movies, um, you know, they're fairly, you know, they're, they're, they're a movie, right? It's a linear uh, sequence, right? So you know that it's you know, it's outdoor. It's a, this one, this one shot indoor. And then we're an open world game that you can go anywhere and you can, you know, might be raining, it might be cloudy. So it took a ton of back and forth iteration on the, on the black and white levels to try to get something that worked across our entire game, sent them video. Uh, it took a little bit of time to, to kind of review it. And I thought they were going to say no. And then they, uh, they agreed to they let us use the name and, and that's how <laughs> it kind of ended up in the name. There's also some actually audio profile kind of, uh, uh, changes that we did to it as well to try to make it feel like an older film when you're in yeah. that space so cranking up the wind things like this yeah that was that was, that was brilliant um jeremy really quickly before before we uh before we leave you all and, and, and talk about who won our award for today um in 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 the game do you feel like there was a a very specific thing that you know from a kind of art direction standpoint that that stood out that was the thing that you're kind of the most proud of um you know or do you feel like there was a thing that when you go back in that game you feel like here's the visual language that we each wanted to hit so that you can understand this is a this is this kind of game you know that that, that was the thing that kind of stood out for you all i think that we wanted to stay true to blind forest style hmm. like daniel mentioned it was a different team uh and so we had a chance to kind of pick their brains a little bit and understand like why they made some of the artistic uh, choices that they did, but at the same time, kind of stay true to ourselves because we had a whole new team of artists that were coming in and we all kind of have like our own artistic preferences and styles. And so it was kind of like striking that balance between the new and the old um, and just finding ways to push the boundaries on the art. So one of the big things that, uh, that we had on our list that we wanted to push it's interesting because uh, somebody else had mentioned this as well, um, was lighting. And so we really uh, looked into a, the lighting system and what kind of things could we do with lighting in a 2D game and um, uh, not just uh, static, but dynamic lighting. Mm. And uh, huge credit to our tech team. Uh, they really came through for us on the pipeline. Um, you know, a lot of times tech team might not get all the credit that they deserve for what goes into, you know, making the art for the game, but um, you know, we had kind of a vision for what we wanted to do and they, they found a way to make it happen for us. And that was a huge part of how we were able to achieve the look that we did. And one of the goals was that we wanted, if you took a screenshot of blind forest and a screenshot of will of the wisps and put them side by side, that you, you can tell the difference. Mm. And, uh, I think that the lighting really comes through on that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I love hearing stories of that because that's lighting for me is a huge part of you know getting getting visuals across in a really beautiful way. So I'm I'm happy to hear that that was a a big part of the the effort there. Um, I get to do my favorite part of the show now, which is give away an award. That's going to be super super fun. Uh, our dice award 
winner for the Outstanding Achievement in Art Direction goes to Ghost of Tsushima. Congratulations, congratulations, congrats. Congrats, Jason. Ah, thank you, thank you. Give the folks at home oh a little God. bit of a, a quick a quick couple of thoughts about uh, winning an award today. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the most, uh, sort of the most intimidating one, right? Because you look across this board and it's like, EP is basically a legend and that, you know, so is Naughty Dog. <laughs> you know, Spider-Man's animation is like some of the best I've ever seen in the world. And the art looks amazing in that game. The environment looks amazing. Ori just continues to be one of the best looking, you know, IPs. It's amazing. And then, you know, Hades is, you know, made art, art direction wise by Jen, who's one of my favorite artists. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking in this room and I'm just super honored to even be even in the room, let alone, uh, you know, blown away by winning it. You know, um, working on this game has, has been one of the most uh, prideful moments of my career. You know, I've learned a lot and I get to work with some of the most talented people at Sucker Punch and all of our new colleagues in Japan and all our consultants that helped us. Um, you know, uh, I too also value lighting. I did lighting for 10 years. Um, it's one of my, I just think that it's getting the atmosphere and the lighting right in a game is so important. And I worked with our team to, to really nail this. And uh, I just feel really fortunate to be at this point in the industry and that Ghost is enjoyed by so many people. So thank you for organizing this and super appreciate this award. Well, again, thank you all for, for, for being here and for, again, you know, using your talents to make some of the most beautiful games on the planet. Uh, Jason, Jen, Eric, uh, Gavin, Jason, Jeremy, and Daniel, thank you so much for being here with us. Again, hopefully we'll be able to get the chance to do this in person at some point. Uh, we'll see you all soon mm -hmm. and thank you again. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.